Section 16 of Tales of the Uneasy by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Lisa Reichert. The Tiger Skin, Part 5. The shower was over, and the sun had come out and sent warm rays across the worm-eaten floor, the floor whereon in the old days the feudal servants of the manor house had slept, weary feet to weary feet, fastened in all night by their lord, with no egress save by the little locked door at the foot of the staircase. The lord of old dared not leave his slaves free to murder their taskmaster in his sleep. There may have been at that time about a hundred healthy farmhands, keeping each other warm and their spirits up through the long night with jests and story-telling. Now this enormous garret held but one sickly, fearful, solitary child. Oh! who had done this his head swam with dreadful certainties a great bluebottle flew in at the window and buzzed in and out of the rafters over mary's head she was past noticing it but it irritated ensor and he wanted to get up and chase it away but he could not bear to deposit the child on the filthy pallias again the same with a cockroach that made blundering rushes from one joist to another of the decayed ribs of the flooring there was probably vermin in that bed, and on the child even, but he was past caring. He could not beat his breast, Mia culpa, Mia culpa, Mia maxima culpa, or tear his hair. His hands were tied, occupied with the task they should have set themselves long months agone, the work to which his downpressed heart had all along instigated him but in this moment he expiated fully what he described to himself as his rotten carelessness, his wicked, easy-going acceptance of Adelaide's excuses, his shameful apathy in the face of the cruel crime that was being enacted in his house. In Adelaide's house, indeed, but the shame was his. Here was a helpless child, dying under his roof of neglect, or worse, and he had had the face to stand before that committee composed of decent people and had been puzzled by their quite natural behaviour they were unfriendly disgusted outraged by his pusillanimity of which they probably had an inkling or more than an inkling what about those boys looking over the wall he had expostulated with the committee for admitting an unpleasant work of fiction into their list a solecism at worst he was thinking of Phyllis's morals, whilst Mary starved. He knew now what Mrs. Marrable had meant, that harridan in the right, dying of neglect and worse. His hand stole towards the open front of the child's nightgown. With sudden resolve he turned her body quite round on his knee and pushed the garment down to her middle. Yes, the scars that play such an important part in the evidence when these sort of cases come before the court were all there fresh and old scars deep and superficial healed ill-healed and superating he turned the body round again and felt mary's pulse it seemed to him to be almost non-existent another long ten minutes savage agonizing interminable he knew nothing about it, but he wished the doctor would come. 
the nurse had probably not been able to catch him before he saw phyllis and it had to wait to waylay him until his official visit was over and as the child lay across his knee to all appearances comatose something grey and loathsome did crawl out from the screwed black hair on to the forehead he pulled out his handkerchief from his breast-coat pocket he felt no sense of disgust to weaken his efficiency such things are it was all part of the horror that had surely now culminated and left him seared and stunned shamed and blighted the child sighed and with a pathetic hint of the baby ways that had been scorched and made to perish out of her crept closer into his embrace her sigh may have been one of relief ensor fondly hoped it the blue bottle buzzed the black beetle looked out again from the crinkled folds of the daily telegraph which ensor had flung down he did not move he hardly thought he was conscious only of the child nestling in his arms as if he were its new-found father and a peace was his a peace he had never known as if his soul had at last found its billet when nurse ferrier came up at last with the doctor he smiled do what you can for her doctor he said pleadingly why wasn't i called before hodgson began angrily nurse ferrier touched his arm ensor saw it the doctor imperiously pulled the duster out of the window-hole to make more light for himself and returning laid the child down on the wretched pallet and methodically examined her the examination over he gently pulled the shawl into position so as to cover her and rose from his knees mr ensor i must see mrs ensor about this he said gravely on the way down the narrow flight of stairs ensor summoned breath to ask a question is she dying probably was the doctor's curt reply and it was all he would vouchsafe adelaide was in the hall and came to meet them where have you been doctor she asked suspiciously her eyes fell and rested scornfully on her husband walt you look pretty bad go and get yourself a whisky and soda yes do said hodgson he turned to adelaide with a rough dignity of manner mrs ensor it is my duty to tell you both that if that child upstairs dies i shall refuse a certificate and order an inquest wald almost admired adelaide now for her pluck a spasm of annoyance no more crossed her face and turning she led the way across the hall towards her morning-room she said over her shoulder she's only shamming it seems to me you want to drink too doctor that was thunder we heard just now it's upset you both wald be good enough to send nurse ferrier straight to me here i'm going to sack her she went into the portion of the hall that was screened off and seeing that both the men disregarded her gesture of invitation to go further and stayed in the main hall she shrugged her shoulders and flung herself on to her tiger-skin turning her back motionless the doctor looked at ensor and spoke meditatively in mrs ensor's present state he murmured perhaps i had better speak to you mr ensor certainly ensor said leading the way into the dining-room i may say before you speak that i know nothing of this 
but that's no matter he went on the blame is mine he rang the bell ask gertrude to come to me here he said to a maid who appeared at the service door at the end the girl hesitated she had something in her hand what is it what is it ensor asked testily i was going to show the doctor sir what mary had to eat she held out a plate for their inspection with some toast rinds and the remains of dripping fat adhering to the sides in her other hand she held a mug into which dr hodgson peered hm a concoction of tea-leaves she was fed sir worse than a dog the girl continued volubly biscuits was bought for him she never complained not she too frightened for that for if she did she got the stick who beat her ensor asked furiously mrs ensor till she got ill she used to take the poker to her that's all the marks on her back now you've seen him doctor yes yes hold your tongue now hodgson said he turned to ensor who stood quietly beside him receiving the unbearable douche of the servant-girl's revelations with such fortitude as he was able to muster if the child dies there will have to be an inquest i must give the nurse some directions where is she be off back to your work he bade the kitchen-maid and ask nurse to come to me nurse ferrier quiet composed unsmiling appeared in the doorway and ensor scrutinized her face for news as eagerly as if he had not possessed the gift of speech is she dead he at last breathed no sir no she answered kindly after a pause recalled as it were from other thoughts ensor did not catch the almost imperceptible shake of the doctor's head that came hard upon her words the nurse continued softly appealing to her chief we won't let her die will we doctor not if we can help it he replied gruffly get yourself a drink mr ensor and buck up now there will be a lot to do presently ensor slowly walked away and the doctor turned to the nurse i wouldn't give a farthing for that child's life you know he said have you brought her down yes she's in the spare bedroom mr ensor would wish her to have the best of everything i think her long drooping eyes were raised to the doctor's for a moment she wanted to talk to him and he knew it but he did not at this juncture care to throw any deductions he might have made from facts patent to both of them into the common fund and he interposed the chill of professional etiquette between himself and her possible confidences he walked quickly meditating the while down the narrow flagged way that led from the house door to the gate in the wall where his horse was being held for him by james the half idiotic manservant the only male creature excepting her husband whom adelaide would tolerate about the place to-day however expecting as usual to have the whole of the path to himself the doctor almost hustled a person of quite a different type from james's a smart slight efficient young fellow slipping briskly up to the house hodgson apologized the stranger who was dressed in some sort of uniform looked curiously at him as if about to speak but thought better of it and passed on after some little delay gertrude came to her master in the dining-room where he had summoned her she looked hurried portentous but at the same time armed with the indifference of fat people 
Her wide apron was covered here and there with spots of gravy or blood. He supposed she had been drawing chickens or killing them. Her bib was pinned up at the corners over her ample bosom. She had no right to have a breast. She had no right to be made like a woman. He loathed her. The agent of Adelaide's system, the janissary who, with fiendish personal lust of cruelty, had brutally carried out his poor wife's unholy theories. And all the while the uncomfortable consciousness was his that, whatever his contempt of Gertrude, it was equalled by her scorn of him. This abominable woman looked down on him. In her eyes lurked the conception of him as something mean and pitiful and likable. Yes, she awarded him a certain amount of good-humoured commiseration, and she was his cook. "'I couldn't come before,' she said sturdily. "'I've been up with Phyllis, who's left all alone because of this business. Be done as soon as you can, sir, for I want to get back to the poor child.' "'You will tell me before you go, please, how long this has been going on. "'How long have you been neglecting and ill-treating your own child?' "'The woman sneered. "'Married, do you mean? "'Well, you see, Mary all along was only allowed to be here, as you might say, "'through the kindness of Miss Adelaide, as being her cook's child.' "'She continued, as if repeating a lesson learned by heart. "'Miss Adelaide, Mrs. Ensor,' has always been very good to me, and I've been the same to her. But it stands to reason that Mrs. Ensor wasn't going to bring up my bastard like a lady. Mary Adelaide, that's her name, had to be trained to be a servant and work for her bread, like her mother's always done. And when she didn't work, she had to be beat. And what was the work you said a child of ten to do? Ensor asked, striving at calmness. Child of ten? She's fifteen, same as Phyllis. Well, let me see. She cleaned the silver, setting down to it every day, and swept a room, or maybe two, and did down the steps, and her own sewing and mending. And what did she have to eat? What the girl showed you, Gertrude said, throwing up her chin in sullen pride of evil-doing. Scraps what was left over from the day before. That is, if I would remember to give it to her and she never reminded me. Too soft. Shameful lazy she was, too, and one had to take a stick or a poker to her to make her bustle. Whoop! Go long! Was all the kind words she got, and a neat cut across her back. She was that lazy, they never had time to heal before there was a new stripe laid over the last one. My God! A young child! He covered his face with his hands. Gertrude regarded him, some shifting of values took place in her heavy brain. She came a step nearer, and her voice lost its tone of coarse bravado. "'You must know, sir, I had my orders.' "'Your orders, woman! Your orders to play the murderess! You, the unnatural mother!' "'You may look a little nearer home for the unnaturalness, if you'll have it. Some folks is very blind and deaf, too.' "'What do you mean?' His tone was violent. The cook said patiently, raising her apron to her face, "'I'll say no more, sir. I must be going.' "'Stop!' cried Ensor furiously. "'You brute!' "'Call me brute, sir,' Gertrude answered almost modestly. Then her temper rose. She flushed. "'Do you know who's a-waitin' for me in my back kitchen where I told him to stop?' 
she said passionately. No one won't go away from here, mister, I said, so long as I give you my word. But I'd something I'd like to say to Mr. Ensor first, before he saw him, I said, and it would be best for all parties if I could get it said. So he let me come, though he's not a-going back without seeing you. She produced a dirty card from the bosom of her dress and handed it to her master. The nurse met the doctor on the doorstep when he came back half an hour later. Her manner was instructive as she came forward, her finger on her lip, and he knew what she would tell him. "'Mary's gone, doctor, half an hour ago, and Mrs. Ensor has bolted herself into her bedroom and won't answer to anyone. I'm afraid she's bad, and—' She dropped her voice. "'There's a man shut in the library with Mr. Ensor. Here's what he brought. I found it on the floor of the dining-room just now.' She produced the card, stained with blood where Gertrude's fingers had grasped it. "'Only fowls,' she said apologetically. The doctor took it. "'The Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, Inspector G. W. Kelson,' he exclaimed. "'That's Mrs. Marrable. She said she was going to put the Society on to them.' "'She's a bit late,' the nurse said. "'By half an hour.' he echoed her as they went in together. "'You never heard anything like it,' the nurse continued, as they proceeded upstairs. "'Gertrude the cook has been telling me, and who she is and all. They've just killed her, by inches.' "'Not by inches, by yards,' corrected Dr. Hodgson. He was very indignant. "'The child's back is covered with unhealed sores, superating.' She doesn't weigh more than forty-eight pounds. Sixty-two she should have. Systemic neglect and outrageous cruelty. They'll have to answer for it. Mr. Ensor knew nothing of it, I'll swear, the nurse said quickly. Yes, his wife leads him by the nose, replied Hodgson. She's a caution, exclaimed the nurse with virulence. And she'll get off because of her condition. They always admit that. "'When it's her own child, doctor? "'Of course you know it's her own child?' "'I suspected it,' he said quietly. "'They had come into the great, wide, "'lightly papered spare bedroom, "'with three tall windows "'looking out over the grey gravel sweep "'in front of the house. "'The windows were wide open. "'The gardener could be heard "'sharpening his old-fashioned instrument, "'ready for cutting the scrap of lawn "'beyond the gravel. "'Professionally,' perfunctorily the doctor looked at and examined what lay on the bed then while the nurse finished her work he strolled to a window and stared out waiting to see the master of the house whose voice could be heard urgently talking in the room immediately below the nurse dabbing sponges in hot water going backwards and forwards with towels talked she had not talked for weeks the likeness she said don't you see it's strong now she's dead doctor i must say i noticed at the very first moment he came up into the garret where they had put the poor child away to sleep or to die as it happened nobody'd been near her for days gertrude thought mrs ensor had and she thought god knows what she thought she shuddered there wasn't so much as a jug of water there mrs ensor hoped mary would die and gertrude didn't care She's a regular bad one. She was cook to Mrs. Ensor before she married, 
and had a baby there and miss adelaide's father he was a doctor and he gave her a certificate of death he was a wicked old man by all accounts so when miss adelaide got into trouble this woman helped her all the while she talked she was busying herself about the wretched little body of mary the doctor stood at his post near the window waiting for mr ensor's visitor to go listening to the nurse's talk as he lightly slashed his top boots with his riding whip and decided what he would do he liked ensor and wanted to make it easy for him and nurse ferrier continued she says they bought this house with its high walls all round because miss adelaide didn't care to be seen about much she was ashamed not so much because she had had a baby without being married but because it was such a wretched little specimen she called herself mrs dibbon that was the name of gertrude's man he was a prize-fighter i make out that he was in prison at the time anyway he was never seen again gertrude says they were all going on quite quietly and the two children brought up like sisters mrs ensor had almost come to think gertrude says that it was the other way about and that the beautiful child was hers and the wretched one the cook's gertrude didn't care her child was the gainer but that the day mr ensor came mrs ensor rushed into the kitchen like a mad thing and said she'd told him phyllis was hers and mary gertrude's and that was the way it had to be for he was coming to live here doctor what do you think of that i think if it's true it's a disgusting business but i don't quite believe it i do said the nurse stoutly i am coming to believe it that woman mrs ensor is bad enough for anything and she simply couldn't have had a nice simple child like phyllis not if she tried ever so there he's gone said hodgson leaving the window he came to the bedside and surveyed the child's small body lying straight neatly fairly disposed the nurse stood proudly away from her work she looks nice now doesn't she doctor i've put her on one of miss phyllis's smart nightgowns gertrude went into mrs ensor's room and got it for me she's not so bad you know gertrude she only did as she was told mrs ensor did the beating and wouldn't let her positively wouldn't let her give the child nourishing food how is mrs ensor did you gather quite calm gertrude says though she knows everything she's absolutely determined not to let herself have a miscarriage that's about it said hodgson buttoning his coat she's got plenty of self-control and courage of a kind courage to be cruel exclaimed the nurse glancing at the human piece of wreckage on the bed and i should say that if she thinks it necessary to starve her children to death if they happen to be born weaklings that the chances are she'll have to kill the next too even if she does manage to get it born all right and i have my doubts about that she's far too keen about it too what's that hodgson interrupted cocking his ear mrs ensor's door he's gone into her then they looked at each other ensor speaking urgently to his wife at the closed door of her room anxious to impart some intelligence he had just received could get no reply from her he did not give it up but continued to call her by her name adelaide she had a pet name chosen by herself 
He remembered it, but he could not bring himself to use it. Half an hour seemed to elapse. He heard a groan. Though he hated her, it frightened him, for there was no one with her. He changed the tenor of his appeals. Adelaide, if you are ill, you must not shut yourself up like this. You may do harm to yourself and to your child. If you won't see me, at least let me send Gertrude to you. Then she spoke. Wald, I am not very ill, not more ill than I expect to be, for I am going to have a child. It will not be quite yet. As soon as it is born, I shall kill myself, but not till then. So you need not be afraid. Her voice sounded fainter. She had turned away from the door. He was astonished at her self-control. Not more ill than I expect to be. He felt that he ought to see for himself how she was. Bitterly, dispassionately, he made the attempt. Let me see you then, he said gently, just for one moment. Is it to scold me? Her voice sounded close to the door. I am not to be scolded now. The key was turned in the lock and he made his way in. His wife stood there on the threshold, half defiant, half apologetic. As he knew Adelaide, the deprecation was much for her. Her beautiful, mournful eyes sought his. They held no cruel gleams, such as had lurked there so lately, when they had talked of Mary. Her dull black silk peignoir was gathered round her. She held it looped pathetically in one thin hand. Yet he was not moved. He only thought of her health, pathologically, as a doctor might. It was his duty. He had neglected his other duty lately. She put up her sharp chin. Her hand let slip the folds of black. They fell all round her, trailing. "'Kiss me, Wald,' she said. "'No, I cannot.' She turned and moved towards the sofa that stretched across the foot of her bed. Her stumble over the long, embarrassing folds of the garment she wore was a mute reproach, but it could not affect him to the extent of inducing him to comply with her request. She breathed heavily and sat down on the sofa. "'See Gertrude, then. She will tell you all you want to know.' "'Your cook! Adelaide, tell me yourself.' Oh, why? She rocked backwards and forwards and nursed her knees. I could not bear the sight of her, I tell you. She answered him passionately. She was a degenerate. She disgraced me. She wasn't fit to live. She ought never to have been born. Never even have been conceived. But she shames her father, not me. I am a normal, healthy woman, and all disease is repugnant to me. It's a law, a law that was infringed. She pays the penalty. And to see her going about day by day, the living testimony of unfitness, of beastliness, why, the sight of her peaked, suffering face, old and yellow, she looked like that even in her cradle. From the very first moment that Gertrude showed her to me, that finished me for I insisted on seeing her at once. I was fit enough. I was about in a week. Then, when I came to look closer, her awful hand. Did you know that she had a finger less on her right hand? Still, I nursed her myself. I... Oh. She put her handkerchief to her bitten lips. There was blood on it when she took it away. Then, when you came, 
i saw you look at her in the car and again when we got out and you carried the rugs for her as we walked up the drive that was enough i made up my mind then and i have never repented it never never i tell you you would never have married me if you had known for you would have the same ideas as me wald that's what i liked in you only i didn't know that you were a coward a mean canting respectable conventional coward what they used to call lily-livered or is it pigeon-livered sneer at me if you like adelaide but explain damn you explain he cried forgetting himself forgetting her state forgetting everything under the stress of the terrible nearly formulated horror what's there to explain she said i hated the child and i beat her i beat her to death that's all he groaned in helplessness overcome by her fierce self-sufficiency but had you no sort of human feeling no woman's tenderness you've been a mother there's surely such a thing as a mother's heart adelaide looked at him wearily shuddering been a mother yes and you what about your tenderness your heart we used to wonder that your heart didn't tell you when you heard her calling out screaming yelling i beat her i tell you i beat her within an inch of her life filthy hateful object that i'd brought into the world through you pa she flung herself down her tone was so piercing so foreign so unknown to him who had learned to expect every variation in adelaide that he cried in panic fear merely for god's sake keep your head adelaide don't go mad now on top of it all oh i'm not mad not a bit of it can't you see you fool but no you can't see you can't see anything unless it's under your nose it was under your nose and you worried and worried and yet you didn't see it here you are mary's your own child and mine mine yours don't you remember that night that night after tristan no i remember nothing be quiet now he held up his hand as if to ward off a blow where is she my god i don't know she fell back her pains had begun he took no notice i'm going to marry he murmured she rushed forward and bolted the door behind him the doctor and the nurse were still waiting by the body of mary aware of the portentous visit of inspector kelson hodgson fancied he might be of some use he might do ensor a good turn in allocating much of the blame which the husband was so generously anxious to take on his own shoulders on to the wife's where it belonged there were reasons why she should be better able to bear it than he the law would be merciful to her in her then condition hodgson could not fathom her he was merely an overworked overdriven country doctor riding about daily from one case to another that the maladies of the hardy normal if worn-out wives of the labouring classes were of a painful and dreary similarity and completely relieved him of the necessity of keeping himself up to date with the new departures in medicine was perhaps the reason that he did not break down from obvious overwork 
his old mare who carried her sleeping master on her back along the same old roads to the same old cottages to attend to hodge's same wife's seventh baby was as well preserved as he a complicated abnormal case like mrs ensor's circumstances so dramatic as this affair at high walls seldom or never came his way and events in this house had in the last twenty-four hours succeeded each other with such a bewildering rapidity that he felt himself excused from keeping up too rigid an attitude with the nurse who like himself was humanly and professionally interested and he permitted himself a certain relaxation in talking to her nurse ferrier on the other hand having been shut up in high walls for many days under the rigorous rule of adelaide was enjoying herself thoroughly all the while that ensor was closeted with mrs ensor she continued freely to develop her physiological views leaving the room only for a moment to get some white flowers to lay upon the child's breast they heard voices from the next room and her open and his professionally concealed curiosity was wrought up to the highest pitch when suddenly these voices ceased and they heard the click of a latch and a step in the corridor then the door of the room they were in was opened with deliberation and the hero of their surmises and of their sympathy walked into the room he did not really seem to see them as they observed afterwards although he moved his head slightly as he passed the doctor and made what might pass as a grunt of recognition his politeness survived in the overthrow of all his standards and hopes and ambitions they stood humbly aside it was his hour no one so far as they knew had told him that mary was dead but he could not help knowing it when his eyes had rested for a moment on what lay on the bed at a sign from hodgson the nurse left the room the doctor followed her the two stood in the corridor outside looking nervously now at that door of the room they had just vacated now at that which gave admittance to mrs ensor's apartments whence came no sound of stirring five minutes later wald ensor came out of the bedroom carrying the body of the child in his arms very carefully as he passed his wife's door with his burden it was opened sharply and as suddenly closed again mrs ensor had looked out hodgson and ferrier followed ensor downstairs wondering what he was going to do afraid that he had gone suddenly mad and that they would have to interfere but so far he was perfectly quiet restrained and measured in his movements he walked steadily balancing what he carried as a nurse does a baby down into the hall where the autumn fire leaped on the hearth and the charred logs tinkled as they fell he went through it into the portion railed off with screens and armchairs and stooping deposited the corpse of his child on the tiger skin which lay spread over the sofa the old yellow sofa from portland place the creases were in the skin that his wife had made when she was lying there only yesterday her bag one of her bags lay on it and with a violent gesture of his occupied hand ensor swept it off then deliberately as if he were in church he knelt down beside the little white-robed form smoothed the folds of the nightgown his hands had disarrayed and half raising her taking her in his arms covered her with kisses long and deep he did not lift his head when gertrude her apron cast aside 
a puzzling figure with her unaccustomed black surfaces displayed, pushed open the red baize door and stood, savagely poised, her bony, flowery arms resting on her hips. "'Go back!' the doctor said in a loud whisper. Gertrude paid no heed. Her dull, faithful eyes were raised, fixed on something she saw at the head of the staircase. It was her mistress, who was even now descending. The nurse darted forward, and in so doing her dress caught in an accidental nail in one of the screens, and made it fall over the end of the couch. Waldensor looked up. He kept hold of the child's hand. Adelaide continued to descend. Gertrude went a step to meet her, but Adelaide waved her away. Then Ensor rose, for Adelaide had reached the bottom of the staircase and was coming to him and Mary. She tottered, but she came on. Her husband raised his finger and pointed it at her, and she ceased, trembling, to advance. Gertrude strode up to her and held her shoulder. Her state was obvious. She no longer took pains to conceal it. "'Listen, all of you,' Ensor was saying, in the same gloomy, intent voice he had used all day. "'I pray to Almighty God that this woman may never live to bear another child.' He stayed for the inquiry into the death of Mary. He bore himself like a man. Then he left England, and his wife never saw him again. She survived the birth of her child, stillborn. The End End of Section 16 End of Tales of the Uneasy by Violet Hunt